Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hello there, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. It is Thursday, February the 8th, about 9.30 a.m. Central Time. A little bit late today. This is also known as the Old dude with old Dudes with Bad Backs uh, podcast, and Scott had to get his adjusted a little bit this morning after uh, uh, messing it up, shoveling snow and sawing wood. So uh, that's the story. If you're seeing us on YouTube, this is not a surprise. If you look at us, you probably could tell we're old and uh, not capable of doing activities without making something sore. So uh, that's where we are in life, right, Scott? Sad but true, man. Once you reach that big five in the front front of your age, it's like uh, it's it's you can't think of yourself as yeah, I can go out and you know I've been sitting on my ass all day, and let's just go out and move the rest of that snow that's at the end of the driveway so <laughs> I can get the cans out there, and then oh well, there's some limbs in the backyard and saw them up. Yeah, I'm not a lumberjack. I I'm not used to this stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had, you know, back spasms, pretty significant ones since Saturday. So, yay, what a vacation week this has been. <laughs> yeah. Hey, happy vacation. We're going to yeah. introduce a, a new offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that one took the day off, and then now it's like, uh, you know, this – uh, you know, but but actually sitting upright like this, Rob, is the best thing I could do, and it's been the best for me so far. Yeah, and I'm sure um, maybe people haven't noticed, but if you're watching the podcast or a frequent wa- watcher of the podcast on YouTube, I move around a lot. I'll get up, you'll see me move. That's me kind of adjusting because I have it mostly in the lower back, and I shot a bunch of volleyball up at the Uni Dome last weekend. My daughter played up there in a club tournament and my back has just been not at all week. So a lot of heating pad time, but uh, <laughs> I don't think folks got on here to ha- talk about our ailments uh, and listen to our ailments. It's uh, always a busy week. There are no downtimes anymore in Hawkeye athletics. Um, let's start with the, I guess the biggest news of the week, Scott, and that is the introduction of Tim Lester as the new Iowa offensive coordinator uh, in that press conference in conjunction was Seth Wallace being introduced as the new assistant head coach. Beth Getz got up and talked a little bit uh, for a few minutes, and then Kirk Ferentz obviously introduced everybody. Thought it ran smoothly. Thought Tim Lester won the press conference. Thought he articulated well uh, his ideas and what he thinks will work within the Iowa system. Um, and it was good to hear. Again, I I said this on the mailbag, I've said it on this podcast, and I will say it again today before giving this to Scott. I'm still in wait-and-see approach, wait-and-see mode, uh, like what I hear, and uh, hopefully I'll see it on the field. Yours, Scott. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think at this point, um, everything has to be earned when it comes to public opinion on that side of the ball. You know, defense, yeah. you know, you can say, well, they, they have a track record and, and a track record of success. But I think on offense, yeah, we're all in wait and see mode, but that doesn't mean we can't take some good uh, vibes from what we heard the other day, or at least, you know, try to just think about what was said and, and figure out a path forward for this offense that has been really not even stuck in the mud, stuck at quicksand for the last few years. And, um, you know, I, I liked what I heard. And I, I liked what I heard because it's not like he was trying to sell us on anything. You know, he's not trying to win the press conference necessarily, but he said a lot of things that I think make sense. You know, he, he described his offense uh, as being going to be, you know, physical, disciplined, and aggressive. And you'd expect Iowa to be physical, of course, and, and very much disciplined um, when it comes to ball security and penalties. Iowa traditionally is very good in those areas. Uh, but the third one, aggressive, that now that's more of a, a it's nebulous to, to an extent. It, it's certainly ambiguous as far as it's a little open to interpretation as to your view of, of aggressive. But I like that the offensive coordinator is thinking that way. You know, now being aggressive, that doesn't mean let's throw three straight passes in the fourth quarter when you're up by a field goal and you have four minutes to go, unless you know you can complete them. But I also think that it's uh, making sure that, hey, we're going to go for the kill shot here. We're not just going to milk the clock. We're not just going to do something. And I'd really like that the way that came out. Um, I like the way he articulated his RPOs, um, you know, asking philosophical questions can be difficult, but I thought he answered them well, especially when it came to, you know, the past concepts, what he's looking for there. And, and, and then also how he's going to incorporate uh, an offense that traditionally uses two tight ends uh, into one where at least those last couple of years at, at Western Michigan, he used a lot of three wide receivers. And it sounds to me like, you know, he's not only going to work with what he has, but he also likes using two tight ends. He just didn't have them at, at Western Michigan. So by and large, I t- I had a lot of good vibes from that. We'll see what it means in the spring. I would guess in the spring it's not going to look very good. And uh, and that's in part because of quarterback. But also it's going to take time for something like this to come around. It's not just going to instantly walk in the door and two weeks later, you know, the, you know, the it's not like uh, Casey Stengel and the Mets, you know, or, you know, whatever coming in and, boom, you know, things go the different direction. I, I think this is going to be uh, a work in progress in the spring. It'll look rough, but, you know, it doesn't matter what it really looks like in the spring, as long as it looks good in September, October, and November. Yeah. I'm with you. And, and to just echo your sentiment there, it did, he wasn't, it didn't seem like he was trying to win the press conference. It was organic. And he seemed genuine in his beliefs and his ideas and his thought process. And I can see why he was chosen as the offensive coordinator. Now, was he the first choice? Um, That's up for debate. Um, We've all heard different things, and it doesn't matter because he is the guy in the seat now, and uh, he's getting to work. And, uh, you know, that includes – it sounds like, Scott, he's starting from – the foundation he's getting into film watching film from last year seeing what he has 
analyzing, diagnosing what he has on the roster. He'll probably look at some high school film of the guys coming in, all of that stuff. And this is a good time of year to do that as the guys are conditioning. Um, the coaches have a lot of time for film work. Mm-hmm. Recruiting slows down now. Well, it never slows down, but it's not. they're not on the road. So he has time now before he actually gets – for lack of a better term, his hands on these guys when spring practice kicks off. Yeah, and I mean, he says he has 600 pages of of plays and stuff like that. You know, first of all, you're never going to go with that many. If you are, then you're an idiot. I mean, not even a Mike Martz can go with that in the NFL. You just, it's too much, to, and especially at the collegiate level. And and frankly, Iowa would be better served this spring uh, you know, there's two ideas of thought, give them everything or give them a couple things. I'm, I'm probably in the latter, you know, give them some things to work on. But, you know, uh, this is a perfect time for an ins- installation. First of all, he's got to review everybody he's got, offensive line, um, tight ends. I'm sure the tight ends will be easy once he starts seeing Luke Lachey, at least the first two weeks <laughs> that he played. And uh, you'll be like, okay, this guy could play. And then Addison Ostranga, yeah, he's – He's coming along. He'll be a nice piece by nice number two. And then uh, offensive line, it'll be, you know, up to him. And of course, Barnett and Ferentz as to how they want to shuffle it. But okay, we've got a pretty good left tackle coming in. And how does everybody else work around that? And then, and then you go to running backs. All right. Now, which one works with the system the best? Uh, You know, with the last system, it was, you know, Williams was the one, you know, that really uh, LaShawn Williams with the the power game in the inside zone. And, and I don't expect that to change much with him. I mean, he's a good player, but, but maybe it means more Caleb Johnson, maybe jazz Patterson fits it better. How do, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe Terrell Washington or, you know, Car Moulton, you know, they have pieces, you know, that that's for him to investigate right now. And then, then comes the wide receivers, which they still don't have a, a coach officially. It should come in the next two weeks, but I would expect there to be, uh, you know, that's the one, that's the position group where I think they can do a lot of revamping. You know, how do you best utilize some guys and who might be good for this offense that wasn't either given a chance or wasn't good enough in the last one? Um, you know, we all look at Caleb Brown and think, okay, we want to see more of this guy. How? And how are you going to use him? That's going to be the fascinating part for me when it comes to moving forward. Yeah. And if, you know, there's any roster movement there at that Mm -hmm. position, what, you know, our guys get, our guys that go through the spring say, I'm not a fit for this, you know, maybe one one or two or, or more or not, or trending towards, okay, I I fit in Brian Ferentz's offense. I can kind of see myself matriculating to playing time and moving up the depth chart. Maybe they feel like they're not in that position there. Um, and I get to this later, but, um, you know, it seems like linebacker might be a p- position where there could be some attrition and some scholarships opening after listening to Seth Wallace answer a question the other day. So we'll see what happens there. But I think I I would be surprised, Scott, if they go into next season with, only the current wide receivers on the roster right now. I think you have to at least add one or two experienced guys, guys that – and that's not to take away from Seth Anderson or Caleb Brown um, or or other guys that are coming back that have had some time, but 
there's not a lot of experience on this team at that position. And maybe there's maybe there are guys that we don't know about that take are going to take big steps forward this spring, and that changes the way you hit the portal in May. But I think as things stand now, that's you've got to fortify that position. Yeah, I mean, that is the, the most difficult spot right now is wide receiver. And you look at, you know, just, you know, who do they have? And 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 I tried to lay out some sort of a, uh, you know, some sort of a depth chart based on what Iowa has. It. And I would say right now, you know, Caleb Brown is the only one that's played a lot. And that's only been three or four games because he didn't play much early in the year. In fact, we all thought, okay, this guy's gone. Uh, you know, Seth Anderson played a lot early, kind of less so late. Uh, but maybe this is a this might be more of a second chance for him, you know, because it, it, it looked like at first he was going to be a big role player, and then all of a sudden it was like, what happened? And and then Jacob Bostic, you know, got to see some snaps for the first time in his career. But but you know, two of the the heaviest use guys are gone. You know, Nico Ragaini. You know, after six years, he's out, and you know, finally, and then uh, you know, then you have uh, Deontay Vines, and whether he ends up a, a UConn or Pitt, I'm not sure which one, but. Um, you know, he, he's transferring out. So then you're looking at a bunch of, you know, f- true freshmen. Jerry at Bowie played a little bit, but not much. You know, Howard and Moda didn't play at all. You got guys like, you know, um, you know, KJ Parker coming in. But then there's also some white uh, walk-ons who have played some that might have a better opportunity to see action. Caden Weijin, probably. Um, Alec Wick, uh, you know, so... It's it's kind of an open book, but as you said, Rob, I think they've got to they, they, they've got to consider adding something here because um, you know, and maybe they they'll get lucky like they did with uh, Charlie Jones or you know Oliver Martin that you know year or whatever. Um, but you know, this is this is an area where I would be concerned if this was you know unless somebody makes major strides over the spring to roll this out, it's going to be tough to move, advance the ball on, through the air, you know, more than just a little bit this year. I would imagine Tim has also got some relationships. I mean, he's only been out of college one year, so he could have some guys in mind at that position. He developed them at Western Michigan. He's done well in developing wide receivers and within his program. So he could have some guys in mind out there that might fit in. So that could be he could have a leg up in that area as well. Um, one thing I f- thought was interesting, and uh, Pat Hardy, who owns all Hawk Fanatic, uh, has been on this track for years about the mobile quarterbacks and asked him about that the other day, and I thought it was a good answer. Yeah. Um, you, of course, want a guy that can move around, but I think in this offense, he's right. You have to have a guy who's efficient, a guy mm-hmm. who – can make the throws. That's the most important thing. And then if he can move around all the better. So um, I think that fits. It's not a guy coming in saying, I need a guy who can, you know, run read option or something like that. This guy is, you know, he, I, I think he can work with different types of quarterbacks. And that's what he has on the roster guys with different skill sets. I think he can see the value in each guy and then find the best guy that works and a guy who fits the best. And, and we all know that Cade's the guy with the upper hand now, but there's there's some uncertainty there. He's coming off another knee injury, 
after have, being out the previous year with a leg injury and surgery. So you have to have an open mind about what else is available there. And I love the fact that he's coached quarterbacks before. Of all the things, that to me is the most attractive thing about him. Yeah, for sure. And, I, and the other thing that I love is that he's going to be in the booth. I really prefer an offensive coordinator up there because you can see the field, see it, how it develops. And, and what he said, you know, we kind of remove the emotion of that you get on the sideline. I thought that was, you know, we know why Brian Ferentz was kicked off out of the booth and downstairs. And, and that's, that's frankly a sign of immaturity. I mean, you know, what, what's the reason? It's not that he's better at it um, in the, on the field. It's that, you know, he couldn't control himself. Um, he and, got too emotional up there. Yeah. And, and at least if you're on the field, but he's gotten, you know, pl- yeah. plenty of personal fouls. I mean, you know, I would say his personal fouls in France technicals are, you know, on a per game per basis are pretty close. And um, I would say um, I do like that Lester coaches quarterbacks. He was a quarterback. Um, he's developed some pretty decent ones. Um, you know, Caleb Ellaby should have stayed in school. I mean, he left after yeah. his sophomore year and he thought he, there's a market there and it wasn't there, but um, you know, e- even so, you know, maybe he should have just hit the portal instead if he's wanting to move up. But, but I think with um, you know, him being able to to see and understand, I, I can see by the end of spring, Rob, that I will probably target another quarterback and a wide receiver out of this. You know, if they get a, a walk on too, you know, if they can get a gift, you know, let's say, you know, a, a Mac type receiver or a Mississippi Valley Conference type receiver who's who's played that maybe it's a, you know, if, if they've got multiple years, it's a walk on fall and then, you know, get a scholarship for spring. And then, uh, you know, maybe make, try to make it up for it with NIL if possible. Um, quarterback's not that easy you can't do it that way but but I think you know based on what I'm seeing here Rob you you got to give Marco every shot in the world to be number two and a quality number two and possibly the starter in 25 if you don't see it go get somebody else you know you just don't have time to worry about hurt feelings right now um and so and, and I'm sure Tim Lester will have his opinions on that and and then it's going to be up to Kirk and his staff as to whether or not they agree and decide to go go after that. Yeah, and really, Scott, you're preparing whoever you're working with the most this spring, whether it's Marco or Deacon, um, whoever that is, whoever you see as as the better guy and the better fit for what you want to do, um, that person could be under center, behind center week one, yeah. not knowing – so, I mean, that's that's just so important this spring to get whoever it is ready. Do you split the reps between them and then maybe stunt the growth of one or the other? It's it's a tough equation to solve, and it's a but it's so important. It's such an important one um, to do to get on right away. And the other thing that I would say is, and I don't want to not give – John Budmeyer a chance because, you know, I think people deserve chances. He's been a coach for a while. He knows the game. I trust that. Um, But I do have some trepidation about him being the wide receiver coach, Um, not only from coaching the position and developing players at the position, um, 
but what you look for in recruiting at that position too. There's so, there's layers to it. So I want to give him a chance, but I, I'm also concerned with that as well. I think it's fair to be skeptical at that position, Rob, um, because they haven't had any success. Really, you know, outside of a couple of players who I think were underdeveloped by Iowa, uh, I think Amir Smith, Marset, Brandon Smith, Tavon Smith all had a lot of talent and they didn't, Iowa didn't use them well enough to, to where they can, you know, I thought Brandon was an NFL caliber player and he's gotten into camp and he's made some plays, but, and he's played some pro ball a little bit outside of the NFL, but I thought he had more ability than what Iowa was gave him. I didn't think they gave him enough shots, you know, uh, to make plays. Um, and then likewise with uh, Tavon, I thought he was underutilized and he was injured his last year that really hurt him. But, but overall, outside of those guys, you know, there've been a couple of possession type receivers, Matt Vandenberg and, you know, Nico was okay. And, and but, you know, easily, you know, um, you know, even going back to, you know, Cavante Martin Manley, but, but I, I think overall they haven't had good receivers since Eric Campbell was the wide receiver coach. And I think that's in part because they haven't had a quality person that's coached the position before and played it before and you know and I'm and I'm with you you know you don't want to automatically start teeing off on you know that but you know I was I was done this with a lot of different players where or a lot of different coaches where they they want to get the right guy in there to coach the position and Abdul Hodge was a great linebacker and he's he's coaching tight ends and um you know, by all accounts is, is doing an okay job there. He's had some great tight ends to work with, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but remember Tim Polisek had never coached tight, uh, offensive line. Um, you got, you know, Seth was a wide receiver in college <laughs> He's yeah. been on defense. He's been pretty good though at defense. But, and, you know, and those are the examples that they would use, you know, Kirk could even, would even use himself and say, Hey, um, my, uh, you know, I was a linebacker in college and offensive line is my specialty, but you brought Bud Meyer in here for quarterback. And now you're asking him to move over to wide receiver, a position that is underachieved unlike any other, in, you know, at Iowa. I, I, I would prefer a wide receiver to coach wide receivers because then they can show how they did it. They can have that respect, you know, you know, the, the easy answer, of course, is Marvin McNutt, but I don't know that that's the right answer. But, you know, at least with somebody like him, it's like I played the game. I played it at a high level in college. And here's how I won. And you have the emotion attached to it. And then also the will to fight because, you know, wide receiver coach at Iowa can get walked all over um, based on some of the plays. So, you know, maybe Bud Meyer's a better coach that I'm giving him credit for, but. I'm with you. I'm very skeptical that this is going to be a good move. I mean, you know, best case scenario, I look at it as kind of a holding serve, which is really about all they've done for the last almost 15 years now. And I think the first year under Davis was Lester Herb, right? Was mm -hmm. he still wide yeah. receivers? And then they got rid of him, which was mm -hmm. a mistake because he was a good coach. Um and brought in Bobby Kennedy because that's who Greg Davis wanted. Maybe that's the situation here. They're going to give Bud Meyer a one-year 
you know, audition, so to speak. But I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I think you go on the front end and say, who's the best guy for this position? And in support of Marvin, who you could say, well, he's only coached at Coe College. You know, he hasn't coached at a higher level. You know, Abdul was at South Dakota, although he wasn't coaching tight ends. Well, Liddell Betts was coaching in high school. Right. And he's done a pretty good job with the running back position. To me, if you're looking for, um, you know, evidence that Marvin could work, Liddell is the shining example of that. A guy who played the position understands what Iowa wants from that position. Marvin is the same. That's the same scenario with him. Well, exactly. And that's that's what makes us kind of frustrating. You know, you look at even Kelton Copeland, he was more of a coached running backs and, you know, did it at, never did it at a level higher than Northern Illinois um, before he came here. And he was given every opportunity to succeed and and frankly just did not. Um, that position group did not. So it's on him. And, you know, Iowa needed something different. And what you need is somebody who's done it before to work with the quarterbacks, coach, you know, and the offensive coordinator who's the same person, Tim Lester, and and also have somebody that the receivers can believe in. And, you know, and, the, and part of the reason with like Marvin is, um, you know, Amir and Brandon went to him. They, they asked him to help. Um, and I remember talking to both of them and Brandon developed a really close relationship with him. And Amir was like, you go into our, our office and you see his numbers and you see his picture on the wall and he, that earns you respect right away. And, and that's the type of thing that I think is really important. And I know teacher, whatever, you know, that to me is, it's good, of course, but you know, that's sometimes you just need to go and let's, let's get the best wide receiver coach for the wide receivers, you know, cause it's a position that again is underachieved unlike any other on this team. Yeah. I mean, he trained, Cavante Martin Manley, Oliver Martin worked with him. You yeah. mentioned Beer and Brandon. I mean, so he's had like that's the one-on-one training with wide receivers. So that's development. Yeah. And then the knowledge, the institutional knowledge of Iowa's program, what they want from that position, blocking, technique, things like that. He's done it all. But I again, I don't want to dump on Bud Meyer. I want to yeah. give him a chance. I just it's the one for me that's like, uh, is this going to work? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I look at Tim Lester and I think, yeah, he's, I think he's the right guy for the job, you know, now, you know, we'll, we'll know at certain times in the season, you know, what's going to happen on third and four against Iowa state. And, you know, what happens when they go against Wisconsin and, yep. you know, and all that kind of, stuff. but, but that remains to be seen. I mean, I do think he deserves a honeymoon of sorts, but I think when you look at, um, you know, Bud Meyer, he was brought in to be, to work with quarterbacks. You know, they made him kind of the quarterback guru and, you know, he brought, he had a great relationship with Cade and, and then he had a, you know, he's kind of the one installing the passing type of situations. And, you know, Deacon Hill came here because of him and, and, you know, that track record is not real good right now. And I'm not, maybe it's not necessarily his fault because, you know, Deacon was a guy that they needed to bring in. Um, you know, because they didn't develop Joe Labus and they needed somebody to replace uh, Carson May and Alex Padilla. So uh, a lot of know, guys have exited. Yes. And and those two position groups have been the worst on the team for a long, long time. And so, 
okay, so you, you, you're now, you got him here. Now what? You know, so would he be better off being an analyst working with him again and then bringing in a wide receiver coach? That would be my vote, but you know, the life doesn't work that way because then we're playing fantasy football, but, but Kirk's been awfully loyal to him. Mm-hmm. And now, now it's time to see why is he going to be loyal to him? Yes. And obviously recruiting that position is a key component moving forward as well. Um, I, I understand at Iowa, you need to develop players yeah. at most positions, but you got to get guys that are maybe at that position more ready to go when they get here or closer to being ready to go. You start going two, three years down the road in development. And, and it's great if you have guys like Brandon and Amir who make it all the way through and there are guys behind them coming up. But when it's a, a large group of guys that are developing at the same time, you don't want to be in that position because then you've got nobody to help. Right. And and think about it, Rob, though, you know, back in 2021, they had an ideal situation. We didn't, we didn't recognize it at the time, but, but, you know, they had a lot of injuries, you know, so we'll, we'll give them, cut them some slack. And of course, in 2022, they were just a wasteland in that way. But when you had Charlie Jones and you had, you know, Keegan Johnson showed a lot of promise. Arlen Bruce played a lot. He was kind of stagnant, but he, they're both freshmen. And, and then you, you saw Brody Brecht and he flashed a little bit and Nico was still playing. They had the opportunity there to, to take that position and take it to the next level. And they fell flat, you know, I mean, they're three top, you know, out out of that five man group, four left. I mean, Brody went for baseball. We know that was going to happen. We knew that was going to happen, but the other three transferred um, and, you know, one's in the NFL and one's going to the Canadian football league, you know, because he had to, but. And then uh, Keegan had a decent year, not a great year, but a decent year at Kansas state. So, but when you have that kind of attrition over and over and over and over again, and they have, because since 2012, only five have run the full race out of 24 freshmen recruited. That's a look in the mirror and say, what are we doing wrong? And we've got to fix this because even if you have mediocre wide receivers, if you can get them to the end of the race, <laughs> that's a hell of a lot better than letting good ones and mediocre ones leave. And my fear is that there's going to probably be a couple more that end up leaving, you know, and, and then you hope you get as much as you can out of somebody like Kalen, Kaden Weijin, which would be great, but you know, you know, he's been a walk-on for two years. So you, you've got to, you got to make sure your scholarship, you're giving your scholarship guys scholarships for a reason, you know, make sure that they step up. Yeah. The attrition is alarming. Uh, the history, recent history at that position is alarming. And, uh, you just got to stabilize the position. You really do. And if you need um, – and I like Caden Weechin. I think he's dangerous with the ball in his hands, and I think he can be used in different ways to maximize his skill set, kind of like Caleb Brown. And that's hopefully one of the skills, traits of Tim Lester, that he puts guys in position to make plays and get the most out of them. He talked about doing that the other day. Hopefully he's able to follow through on that. He talked about the complimentary football, Scott. It's our favorite term around here, complimentary football. It's 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 easy to kind of say, okay, what is complimentary football? Well, it's the offense, the defense, and the special teams all working together to get the best product. 
that's the that's kind of the 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 overview of it but actually digging in and making that work is a lot harder because you're calling plays offensively based on and Kirk says this all the time and hopefully people pick on it pick up on it you don't want to put the defense in bad position so that is going to change how you call offense which is why Tim Wester has to figure out how to work within this system of complementary football because this complementary football at Western Michigan is different. It's different wherever. And everybody plays complementary football. This is not like a novel idea or anything, but that's the, that's the challenge for Tim Wester, right, is to figure out how to work within this system of complementary football. Right. It's about how to how to put your defense in a better position. If you if you've got to surrender this possession, make sure that your defense is in a good position. And that's, um, you know, sometimes it's running the football. And even if it means just chewing up some clock to keep them off the field, you know, rather than try three passes you know, and you're on the, you know, for 40 seconds and then you kick again and your defense like, man, we're just out there for, you know, a six minute drive and gave up a field goal. And now we got to go back out there again. It's finding ways to work together as opposed to like isolated units. Like we'll worry about ourselves and not worry about them. And, you know, and it comes down to the fourth quarter. It's like, again, if they're winning 20 to 17 against Washington or Wisconsin this year, um, with four minutes to go, um, don't throw three passes. You want to chew up some clock, force them. And then you come into that yin and yang between forcing them to use timeouts versus, uh, you know, going for the jugular, you know, and, and some of the times it all, it, it works together because then you're looking at your defense going, yeah, our defense can contain them, but you want to put them in an advantageous situation. You know, it, hopefully it's not as extreme as the Penn State game where you're taking three knees and and then punting. Yes. <laughs> that's that's the uh, the complete utter ridiculousness of it. But uh, you know, and, and Tim's going to have to figure that out. Um, you know, and and then he's going to have to figure out how he works with the the pieces he's he's got because it's not like you can get. In, you know, the draft is over, you know, that's, that's called the signing class, <laughs> yes. you know, you know, and, and free agency is kind of hit and miss and you want to get the right guys. And I was been okay in the portal at times, but they missed on some guys too. And then they missed on some, you know, I thought Oliver Martin could have been a really good player for Iowa and they completely whiffed on that. So, you know, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think right now, you know, it's figuring out what works well. I, I will say this, though, that the offensive line looks a lot ha- healthier this year than it did uh, since probably 2020, you know, when they had uh, Alaric Jackson and, and Mark Kallenberger and Tyler Linderbaum and, you know, some of those guys out there that looks a lot better that, now than it did then, that's for sure. Yeah, I feel optimistic about tight end, obviously. Mm-hmm. Running back, I think we've seen – you know, three guys that are capable of producing there. And I think there are more behind yeah. those three. Um, and then I, f- I feel better about the offensive line. I still want to see it come together in actuality. I think the pieces are there. Um, but again, a wait and see approach with that unit, but I do feel encouraged by what's happened this off season and the experience that, that comes back. Um, Switch gears uh, to the Seth Wallace portion of the press conference, Scott. Um, 
it could be me. Maybe I'm off on this, but I, I know he's not going to come out and say he's working towards becoming a head coach um, or that's the path that he wants to be on. But I think you kind of, when you listen to him, uh, when you see how he carries himself, I think that's a goal of his. And I think Kirk sees him as a potential successor in this program, which is why one of the reasons I think he made him assistant head coach. Um, Cause whenever this ends for Kirk, it's going to be, you know, who are the candidates? Kirk's going to want to nominate someone, so to speak. I think Seth makes a lot of sense there. Um, and I think this is a good step for him if yeah. that's what he ultimately wants to do. You know, th- this is what's fascinating to me about this, Rob, is, uh, you know, who they chose and who they didn't cho- choose. And then also along the lines of what does this mean for the, the current and the future for Iowa football and for Seth Wallace? And and they re, they thought an assistant defensive coordinator and linebackers coach was was worth giving him that title and paying him a million dollars um, to keep him on staff and earn that that role. And, you know, because he was pretty much maxed out. I mean, where he was. You know, they they gave him the assistant DC job a while when, back. When, when was that? Do you know? It was like seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, it's I mean, been so a it's while. Been, yeah, yeah. And you know, when you have Phil Parker, you know, there's nowhere really to go. I mean, you, you've got to stay. You know, he's going to be the DC. You know, you're not going to get rid of him by any means. He appears and then, to be good at that job. Yeah, I think people recognize <laughs> that. <laughs> you know, and then they equally recognize that Seth's a major part of that. Uh, success too. And then you've also had four different uh, programs sniffing around him at different times. You know, he's interviewed at Purdue, Minnesota wanted him, Northwestern and Nebraska at different times. Um, You know, so you've got to, if you want to keep your own, you got to make it worth their while. And I think that's what they decided to do with Seth was um, give him this role and, and then it markets him not only for Iowa, but for other coaching jobs in the future, you know, whether it's, you know, Kirk retires, let's say, in two years or three years, then it, it instantly puts him in that category. But then also, you know, if you're, you know, whether it's a lower level power five or a high level G5 team, you know, assistant head coach at Iowa in charge of that defense, that's pretty good. And and I think Seth has the right temperament and abilities to to work as a head coach. And um, he's really smart, and, you know, and, and comes from a coaching background and has demonstrated success at multiple positions in multiple areas. So, uh, but, you know, at the same time, they chose him. They didn't cho- choose, you know, LeVar Woods, who interviewed with the Buccaneers this week for their uh, special teams coordinator position on Tuesday. He, he didn't get it, but but it also signifies to him that maybe he's maxing out now you know, at Iowa, and, and maybe he's got to think about his future because what happens if, Kirk retires, you know, is he's not guaranteed to be here much longer. And now I would, I would guess and hope that, you know, Mason, you know, you'd want to stick around for, for Mason's, uh, you know, tenure at West high, but maybe, maybe they figure something out as a family. I don't know, but that's still, it's uh, they, they went with Seth over, over LeVar and now you've got to kind of see what the future holds for both of them. Sometimes uncomfortable situations are unavoidable. 
And this one is probably uncomfortable, um, at least to a degree over in the football facility, because you have two guys that um, have done a good job climbing the ladder and proving themselves and working towards their goals of becoming a head coach. And, you know, the head coach now has to choose which guy he feels like is further along on the path of doing that. And I think by promoting Seth and giving him a raise, um, that, as Scott said, signifies how he feels. And the defensive coordinator got what? What percentage raise is that? What was he at? Like one one to one nine? That's a hefty raise. One four. Was one he four. at one four? Yeah. Okay. So, so it's still still five hundred thousand dollar raise. Yeah. Sign me up for that. Yeah. Um, I'll take that raise. I'll take that salary. Deserved? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bill deserved what he got. So I I would say Seth deserved a pay raise as being part of that side of the ball and being the assistant defensive coordinator. The the promotion to assistant head coach, I think, is separate from that. But, you know, again, he maxed out, as Scott said. LeVar has not gotten a raise, publicly at least. He'll get the standard raise, whatever that is, 6%. Is that what it is? It'll, it'll be higher than that, but I, I'd have to look at the percentages that in, in Kirk's contract. But it'll be either 8 and I think it'll be 8 this year, just because of, they ended up in the top 25. Okay. But just – you know, yeah. I think it's human nature. How how much am I valued? Yeah. Am I not valued as much as some others? And spe- defense has been great, but I would submit that special teams has been really good too. And as bad as this offense has been with the head coach's son running it, um, the special teams probably should get some more recognition here. And maybe it will. Maybe that's – maybe, mm-hmm. you know, there's still money in the coffers to be able to do that. Maybe you can – Put a, some type of promotional tag on LeVar to give him more on his resume. Um, but I get it. I get where he's coming from, you know, in terms of looking around. Yeah, yeah. It's just at some point, you know, it's understandable. You know, you didn't get the promotion. You're And no matter where you are, and somebody else did, and now you've got to understand where do I fit in this world? Am I happy in my current job or do I deserve more? Or should I just look around and see what's out there and, you know, and maybe realize that I'd really like it best here. I don't know. That's up for him to decide, you know, uh, but overall, yeah, you're right. Look at, look at the position uh, that he coaches and look at where things have, have gone. I mean, you know, Tory Taylor, the greatest punter in Iowa history. You can make a case he's the greatest punter in Big Ten history. Uh, you know, being a two-time F- FWAA first-team All-American, uh, multiple times he's been the Big Ten punter of the year. Um, he's going to get drafted, which doesn't happen to punters all, every day. And then you look at, you know, Keith Duncan was a first-team All-American, uni- uh, consensus All-American. You look at um, Drew Stevens has a pretty good – resume coming up uh you know even uh, Caleb Shudak you know and then you look at kick returners of the year and in um Caleb, uh, Cooper DeGene and Charlie Jones and Amir Smith-Marset so I was special teams and remember what it was like not that long ago you know before LeVar took over and how they got depanced all the time on on uh 
kick, you know, onside kicks and fake punts and uh, 10 years ago. Remember how bad that was? It seemed like every other week they were getting to pants somewhere. And then they stopped it against Nebraska because they just made it look ridiculous. So yeah, LeVar has earned his rights to, to get a raise too and get some, you know, company plaudits. Now, how much, how much money is in that tank, you right. know, for everybody? Uh, you know, that, that's another question. That's one, that's a Beth Getz question, but I will say, and I think Iowa has recognized for a long, long time that, if uh, if you're not in the arms race, the only thing worse than that is being out of it, you know, or, you know, you're, you're in it or you're out of it. And you, in this day and age, you've got to be in it. And if you're Iowa football, you've got to be in it. And if that means other sports suffer, other parts of your, of your organization suffer a little bit, they're going to have to, because football is number one, two, and three. Yeah. And LeVar did, I mean, give Kirk credit for giving, the special teams over to him. And then he's done a good job of, as you said, rebuilding it from, you know, where they were. Kickers usually been pretty solid, but yeah. you know, you had the, the, the corn breath rest that are experience um, at punter yeah. and then coverage teams were an issue. And then he went out and got Dylan kid, then Michael sleep Dalton that led to Tory Taylor. You talked about the kit Miguel Racinos to, um, Keith Duncan, the mm-hmm. Caleb Shudak, you know, it just, he's solidified that phase of the program. And there's, there has to be a decent amount of value on that. And does he agree with what his value is compared to what Kirk feels the value is? And is that something that they can come together on or after? this promotion of Seth Wallace is as LeVar at the point where he's like, I, I need to go somewhere else to be, to continue rising and, and yeah. advancing my career. You know, my, my hope is, you know, and it's up to LeVar to decide and it's up to the market to decide, but I, I hope that emotion doesn't dictate when and where he takes off Agreed. because he's given a ton to this program. This program owes him. You know, he, he actually grew up on a farm. You know, it'd be it'd be pretty smart of Iowa to to give him the A and F award. You know, good God, you know, he he he, yeah, he actually is a farmer. You know, he's alone. I mean, he cares about this. He's been around this program for years, other than the time he spent in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he's from the state. He played played for Hayden, played for Kirk, has coached here since what oh eight oh nine. You know, in, in different you know, administrative assistant to, you know, being a, a full-time coach and moving around and had great success, tight ends. Really good you know, recruiter. Yeah. You know, probably as, you know, in their elite level of recruiting, yep. uh, you don't want to lose that. And, and so I, I would think that it would be wise for Iowa to um, recognize him. And like I said, the A&F award should be the least of it. I mean, he should be the ANF award winner, in my view. I, I don't think there should be anybody else before him. Uh, last, uh, last nugget on uh, football before we take a break and hit up some winter sports. Um, big rec- uh, junior day this past weekend at Iowa. Um, check out my feed, Rob Howe HN on Twitter. You can see a bunch of different stories. There's also a roundup 
uh, on hawkfanatic.com on the weekend as well with quotes and reactions from a bunch of prospects. Um, obviously, the headliner here is Thomas Meyer, Scott, tight end out of Clear Lake, Iowa. Um, had offers, great offer list. Um, have watched him a lot on film. Really good basketball player as well. Really good athlete. Fits. Seems like it was a perfect fit. Tight end in state, really good. Why not Iowa? Yeah. You know, the funny part is they've struggled at that in recent years. I know. <laughs> you know, I mean, Raritan goes to Notre Dame and Fedoni goes to Nebraska. Now that yep. one's different because Nebraska is only 50 miles versus 250. But still, you know, to be able to get it in state four star tight end, it seems like it should be a shoe in. And in this case, they were able to, to secure him. And that's a great fit for him. That's a great fit for Iowa. I expect him to have great success. And then, uh, then the linebacker, was he from Oswego? Is that where he's from? Yeah, he's yeah. from Noah Shannon's high school. Yeah. His dad actually is the coach there. Okay. Carson Cooney. Yep. Yep. So, you know, they had a productive uh, junior day, you know, to get a couple of guys in in the, in the barn and <laughs> you know, now what, now what's next, you know, that, that's what everybody wonders, but uh, there are some, some big pieces out there that they really have to start examining. Yeah. And I mean, uh, another of the, the, the top targets that was here is probably the top two 2026 kid in the state, Carson Nielsen. Yeah. <laughs> I encourage people to go watch his film at Waterloo West um, mm-hmm. at left tackle. He is a monster. Um but he's got a bunch of offers too, in state, out of state. Um, and that's he's the key target, I think, for Iowa and that. And he came here again. It was his third visit, I think, Scott, since November. Came to a game game late in the season, visited for a bowl practice, and then was back for junior day. So Iowa's doing a good job of building a relationship with him. No commits yet in that class, but obviously um it's early still. He's only a sophomore in high school. Right. Um, but that's one you want to get in on early and just continue to build. And I and from his reaction to his visit this past weekend, he feels really good about Iowa. And that's good to that's what you want to do. You got it's a process, right? You want to keep building with these kids, keep putting yourself in a good light, keep showing them that this is the best fit. I think Iowa took a good step forward with him this past weekend. Yeah, that's the guy. You know, I you wonder what what's the Caden Proctor effect. You know, now that he's back and if he plays well and if he does, you know, does that encourage a player? You know, they're different people, I know. But, right. but you know, a Nick Brooks in the future, you know, um, Carter Nielsen, you know, th- those types of players that are elite, uh, you know, getting elite offers, you know, if they can see that, hey, maybe – in Caden's case, the grass wasn't greener. I mean, it was just as green, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but, you know, the, to stay at home and play at a high level, you know, to still have, you know, 10 wins and still be successful and send people to the NFL, maybe that's better than, than leaving home. And especially if you're close to your family and stuff. So I, I like where I was positioned, but, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that Iowa state was able to get Alex Bansky, you know, from Algona, I know Iowa looked him over pretty hard and then ended up getting Jimmy Sullivan. I, I thought Mansky was going to be heading west. So, uh, you know, what does that mean for Jack Limbaugh, you know, at, at Algona? You know, Mason Woods, as we said, you know, locally. And, and uh, you know, there are plenty of others out there as well. Yeah, and I still – my money's still on uh, – my money's still on Nebraska for Limbaugh, but we'll see what happens. 
that's a tough pull when your dad played for the program yeah. and your mom was a star volleyball player for the Huskers. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. But uh, we'll see what happens. Um, last one I would, would note on is Terrence Smith, wide receiver, uh, visited. I have not been able to get in touch with him and talk to his coach, uh, message with him. He's had a busy week. Haven't been able to get reaction from him. I know uh, Blair Sanderson from on three got in touch with him. It sounded like he had a good visit too. We talked a lot in this podcast about wide receiver. He's a 25 kid who was offered last Thursday and visited two days later, um, identified here as a guy that they're interested in. So we'll see where things go with that. Hopefully I can run him down at some point and see kind of where, where he's at, but sounds like he had a good visit as well. So productive weekend for their first junior day and uh, got a couple commitments out of that and we'll see what else uh, comes down the road. But uh, recruiting never sleeps, Scott. It's a day year day a year endeavor um so um even when you're not on the road so i'm sure the the coaches i'm sure tim lester's hard at work there as well and uh we'll see here as uh spring practice rolls around a lot of kids come through as well so we'll have a lot more talk to talk about uh on future hawkeyes too so um what do i got to do now oh i got to do a read let me pull it up here uh Support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. That is SUI.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for the continued support of our podcasts. And thank you for the great work they do in our community for over half a century. We're going to hear from a few more sponsors here, and Scott and I will be uh, back on the other side shortly. Hang on, hang in there. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. We're back here on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. Going to turn our attention now to some men's and women's hoops and some wrestling, Scott. But one more note on the recruiting. Uh, posted a story this morning on Braden Jackson. He is the son of Fred Jackson, uh, former hmm. co-college uh, and Buffalo Bill running back. Uh, he plays at Ankeny Centennial. Ankeny Centennial. He is a 2025, does not have an offer yet, but... Interesting film and and uh, obviously good bloodlines. And I was uh, he was behind Trey Porter was the lead back at Centennial this past year. He's Trey's going to uh, Northern Illinois, so uh, Braden was kind of a secondary uh, back, but he still caught thirty one passes. A really dynamic, uh, multi uh, faceted running back. So interested to see where his recruitment goes. And obviously, as I said, he's got pretty good bloodlines. Fred was a Fred was a fun back to watch. Yeah, uh, you wonder, 
him going to co just how did somebody like that slip through <laughs> everybody's fingers i mean even the even the fcs you'd think that somebody or division two even would offer yeah. him a scholarship but but uh you know he he certainly has one of the great stories in recent nfl history because he was you know became you know he was not number one or two but certainly maybe in a top five of buffalo bills running backs of all time and it's just been uh, just really impressive. And, and yeah, you'd want to get that bloodline <laughs> at Iowa city. No question. Yeah. His son's a fun back. I would encourage people to check out his huddle. Um, definitely uh, electric type running back and uh, looking forward to seeing what he does his senior season when he is the, the uh, number one guy on the depth chart. Um, let's start with uh, men's and women's basketball, Scott, because they both played this evening. Uh, it's Penn state <laughs> week. Uh, you got men's and women's basketball playing Penn State today and then wrestling playing host to number one Penn State tomorrow. We'll get to that in a second. We'll start with the the women. Um, Penn State comes here tonight, 8 o'clock, Carver-Hawkeye Arena. That game is sold out. You can probably get tickets on the secondary market. Good luck with that. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you have a lot of money in the bank account. But uh, Penn State has been a surprise team, Scott, one of the surprise teams in the Big Ten playing really well right now. So, um, and you know Iowa's going to get best shot. It always does. Uh, moved up to number two this week again with Kansas State's loss last week. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where you got to continue to be on your game. And uh, this is not a layup tonight by any means. No, it's not your typical Iowa Penn State game where it's pretty much uh, is it going to be forty or fifty point spread? You know that yeah. that that you don't foresee. I mean, you're talking about Penn State that's second in the Big Ten in scoring. Iowa's first, of course. So it's like ninety one to eighty six. Now I don't expect that to be the final score, but you know uh, it, it's going to be a it's going to be one where if Iowa's not hitting shots from three, if they're not very successful, that Penn State has the opportunity to compete in this game, and that's. Something that I think, uh, you know, it hasn't happened and it speaks to how you know, Penn State has improved. Now, you know, what they lost to Michigan uh, recently and um, but they did blow out Maryland. And that was a that was a surprise to me. I, I mean, Maryland, of course, played Iowa tough Saturday. You'd expect that over there, sold out arena. Um, they owned Iowa in, in College Park. So. You know, of course, with Brenda Freeze and her history, you, you knew that they were going to get – Iowa was going to get an incredible effort, they did. But, you know, the fact that Penn State beat, beat them so decisively, I think you've got to give them a respect. Now, if Iowa's hitting shots, it doesn't matter who they're playing. They're going to be fine. But, um, you know, Penn State has the opportunity, and, and it's going to be a fast-paced game. It's going to be up and down the floor, and I think that'll be fun to watch. Just some, uh, some you know – comparisons to teams that Iowa's played that that uh Penn State has played uh Scott mentioned Maryland uh Penn State this was back in December but they lost at Ohio State in overtime the same as Iowa did um they lost by 8 at Indiana uh as Scott said they they blew out Maryland the loss to Michigan was a little bit of a head scratcher um but you know Overall, a, a an exciting team to watch, a high-scoring team. I think tonight's game is going to be fun. It's just going to be fun to watch. You're going to have two teams going at it. Yeah, up and down the floor. Um, and, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see just how, you know, the – 
how Iowa responds after a, a really good couple of road wins and to come back home and, and uh, you know, see how many points Caitlin Clark wants to put up, you know, since she's been playing there for five or six years and she's 25 years, <laughs> years old now. Right. Yeah. She's going to start having back problems. Yeah. Like me. I mean, shoot, she's in our age group. She's an old dude, uh, you know, so. Um, um, well, I apologize to folks. I did not look this up beforehand. How many points is she away from Kelsey Plum's record? 60. It was, she's, she needs 66 to set the record. Okay. So she's 65 away from tying. Iowa plays home tonight. They are what at Nebraska Sunday? I yeah. believe on Super Bowl so, Sunday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She, it's, she may have to hold back. And that's the, that's the, to me, that's one of the more interesting things, uh, uh, aspects of this week, Scott, is can she wait till next week when they play host to Michigan to get the record? Or is she going to get it on the road at Nebraska? Who knows? Maybe she'll score 66 tonight and break the record. <laughs> she broke the Big Ten record while she's at it. Rachel Bannum had 60. Uh, that was the, that was the high. Uh, you, you know, normally you would say, yeah, I think she'll be all right. You know, it'll be Michigan, but in this case, you don't know because no. she's she's scoring thirty four, thirty five plus almost every night now, and and uh, in a game like this where you expect it to be up and down, she's going to hit a lot of transition buckets, a lot of threes. You know, and you just I think a few times you just hope, hey, maybe she can make that pass for an assist. You'd rather see her get a twenty eight point performance with. 12 assists rather than 34 with uh, six assists or something. So I, I think this is, uh, you know, and, and that's the thing about Nebraska. I mean, you know, she could have her own thoughts on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, maybe she wants to break it at Nebraska because they haven't figured out a way to slow her down. And uh, the way Nebraska's fans have kind of come after her, she may want to just throw it in their face. <laughs> but then I also look at it from Iowa's perspective is, yeah, you might want to do that at home. And if you do it on Super Bowl Sunday, unfortunately, it's going to be a footnote. You know, it'll be the third most interesting story behind the result of the Super Bowl and then whatever happens with Taylor Swift. So, you know, you're like, eh, you know, if, if you could wait a few days now, I've talked to Fox people last week before they decided to go with the Caitlin cam and they really would love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they would. Because they don't have the Super Bowl this year, so they would love to ha- make that the big story for at least a couple hours. But, uh, you know, either way, and then, of course, NBC slash Peacock would kill to have it. You know, you talk about, you know, <laughs> being able to break a record on, on a streaming service. That's that's impressive. So either way. She's uh she's impressive no matter what some of the old old guard thinks of her. <laughs> so since January, what is that? January 13th, Scott, and that was the game against Indiana. She has scored 30, 32, 45, 38, 35, 38. So you look at that average that points to this thing going down on Sunday at Nebraska. But nothing's for certain. We don't know how this is going to play out. Maybe she becomes Magic Johnson in the next two games and just starts feeding everybody and ends up with 20 assists a game. Yeah. She's capable of doing that, too. Yeah, you never know with her. I mean, and that's the impressive part, you know. And, and you know, you, you, one thing you just, you know, you hope that, 
if you're, you know, if you're cheering for Iowa that, you know, she goes out, she has a 30 point game tonight, maybe a 30 point game at Nebraska. And uh, in the fourth quarter against Nebraska, they're up so big that Taylor McCabe can take advantage of the situation since she's a Nebraska native and go yep. out and do some big things and then saves uh, saves a little bit of time, you know, an opportunity to do it in front of her own crowd. But but she's also very competitive. And I don't I don't know that she's going to willingly go over there and and say, um, you know, especially if it's a close game, you know, then, then forget it. She's going to play the situation. It's just fun for us to speculate about. Yeah, and if she can drop a fifty burger on Nebraska, then she's going to she's going to do it. Whether, yeah, whether it, you know spoils the home uh celebration of her breaking the record or not so yeah um that's tonight uh eight o'clock carver hawkeye arena huge game for the men tonight scott they've been win one lose one can't get over the hump get they have not been over 500 this year they're one game under now five and six the same record as penn state has you and i have covered games at penn state it's like <laughs> a funeral it's very quiet. You have to make your own energy. I know they, they've done a little bit better with attendance this year, but I'm not sure how much of a draw a five and six Iowa team's going to be, uh, you know, at Bryce Jordan on a Thursday night. Um, but you never know. But this is a huge game for Iowa. It's a winnable game. Um, Iowa gave up that home loss, you know, has that home loss to Michigan. Although Michigan came back, got a big win yeah. the other night or last night. Last night. night. Yeah, last Wisconsin. night. Um, this is a goofy league this year with weird stuff happening. Michigan State loses to Minnesota. Minnesota's playing well now, and that's the team that Iowa beat on the road who comes here on Sunday. This is a huge two-game stretch for the Hawkeyes, Scott. Two wins here, two winnable games get you over 500 for the first time this year then you're back in the bubble discussion. Yeah. And we've been through this. Like, you know, I I thought they blew an opportunity within the last couple of weeks, the Maryland game in particular and and Indiana last week, you know, against two teams that they are in the same position as, which are bubble-ish, bubble-icious teams. (laughs) Um, But the next two are incredible for them. I mean, in the same, same breath, I mean, Penn state and Iowa are both five and six, you know, Minnesota six and five, you know, this is, this is the neighborhood that you're living in this year. You've got to win those games. And they played one of their better games up at, up at the twin cities earlier this year when they beat Minnesota, they were zero and three in the big 10 and they went up and, and played really well. But I think right now they, they've got to do the same thing that these next two games. And as you know, with Penn state, it's the, the environment is unlike any other in the big 10. And I don't mean that in a kind way. It's I kind mean, of it's, like sleepy. Yeah. It's just kind of like, you're ready to take a nap. You feel like yeah. you just kind of lay down, take a nap. You know, it's one of the biggest arenas. It's like, what, 17, 18,000. And it's also the least filled, you know, and it does, that doesn't matter if there was 8,000 seats. It's still one of the least filled. It's just, you know, really sleepy. It's um, and Penn state, you know, in the past anyway, has been very physical, so sometimes you go in there, you don't have the energy you can feed off of either negative or, or positive. And if they're going to bully you, then you're really in trouble. But, but you know, th- this team is, you know, put some stuff together. You know, I think they've played hard most of the time. And, uh, you know, to get the win at Michigan, 
you know, over the weekend, uh, you know, I, I think they're, they've got an opportunity here to, to, you know, get themselves back in that conversation and have something to play for because they've got some tough opponents down the stretch, but they're all, again, kind of now that Purdue has kind of separated itself, I think they're all in a similar category, but you're, if you can't pull this one off, um, you know, tonight and Sunday, then you're really uphill. Then, you know, like, you know, you play Wisconsin at home. That's going to, that's a challenge. But as we saw last night, they're not invincible. Um, You know, Northwestern is a very good team. I think probably the second best team in the league, but you know, the boo booey is going to be a major headache for Iowa, but he's, you know, they're beatable. Michigan state is the most underachieving team in the league. They're beatable. I mean, so they've got opportunities, but they've got to take advantage of them and they haven't put together much of a run other than, you know, when they were down Oh three. So I think overall um, tonight is, is a pivotal night for Iowa. Cause if you go five and seven and, and Penn state goes up to six and six, then, you know, you, you've already got two losses to teams below you. And, uh, you know, and then they did beat Ohio State, which, you know, Ohio State and Michigan are tied for last in this league. Can you believe that? Great football season, man. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I will say for those that think, oh, it's only Penn State tonight. Penn State's coming off of road wins at Rutgers and Indiana. Not, Mm -hmm. not, and not, neither one of those teams are world beaters. Two road wins like that. They won by 15 at Rutgers. You've been there, Scott. Yeah. The rack is not an easy place to play. And Indiana is Indiana. They won by 14 at Indiana. So this would be a really good win for Iowa. It's a winnable game. Minnesota just won at Penn State before Penn State won those two on the road. Again, this is just a crazy conference this year. But this is the type of year where February 8th, Iowa needs to make a little bit of a push here and win a couple games, get over 500, get your feet under you, because you're going to have games like Scott said. Wisconsin at home is going to be tough, really hard to win at Northwestern this year. That's where teams have gone to die. I mean, the Northwestern is so tough at home this year. So tonight and, and Sunday are really, really important for Iowa if it wants to get itself back in the bubble discussion that is tonight, 6 p.m. Central Time at the Bryce Jordan Center. That is on BTN. So be on BTN, and then the women's game is on at 8 o'clock. And then tomorrow night, Scott, 8 o'clock, Big Ten Network. The duel that everybody has been waiting for, but it lost some luster after Iowa got handled pretty convincingly at Michigan last Friday, losing seven of ten matches including real woods losing his first match to a freshman. That was, I don't say this often about Iowa, but I think most fans would agree that, you know, they'll watch it. That was an embarrassment. That was an embarrassment every single way possible. And it's not just the losses. It's how they lost and how badly they lost in certain aspects. You know, I mean, you did not expect Drake Ayala and, and Real Woods to lose matches, period, let alone, you know, the way Woods lost. Um, you know, th- this is this is rough. And, you know, and you're talking about going against what, you know, five top-ranked uh, athletes against Penn State at home. Um, and, you know, they're going to want to put a whooping on you. 
because they always do. And this is this is one where you've got to be concerned that you don't just get annihilated. Embarrassed. Yeah. You know, because Iowa, if, you know, so I'm curious to see how they come out and compete. You know, again, you know, you don't necessarily think that, you know, heavyweight's one thing, you know, that that's that's either here, but, you know, Zach Glazer, you know, can he, can he hang with Aaron Brooks? You know, there's all kinds of different matches, you know, when, when you talk about Bartlett versus Woods, that's a, that's a critical match, you know, for a lot of reasons, but it also, you know, how does he come back and respond after that loss? So, um, you know, and it's not just the duel, but it's nationals coming up. It's all the other things. Yeah, no doubt. And it almost feels like, and this is me looking from the outside in, I know in the room over there, they're thinking victory against Penn State. But as Scott said, the big picture is the Nationals and how you're going to do there. I almost think you, if you can hang with Penn State, you don't, you don't want to say moral victory, but at least get yourself up off the mat, if I may use that analogy, and mm-hmm. compete tomorrow night against Penn State. Maybe you lose, maybe, maybe Glazer loses to Brooks, but at least he pushes them and gives them something to think about yeah. if they meet again down the road in the Big Ten or in the Nationals. You got to show some fight tomorrow night. You have to compete and you're going to have a, a raucous crowd behind you. You mm-hmm. you should be fired up and ready to go. You got to compete tomorrow night and show and and put last week behind you and give yourself some momentum moving forward because I think there's one more duel after this. Hmm. Uh, Let me see here. I, um, I think they have Oklahoma yeah, State left. Yeah, that Wisconsin at home. Okay, Wisconsin at home, and um, then at Oklahoma State. So, so the, we're getting down to the to the wire here, and yeah. uh, you know, Penn State is just on another level right now. They're on their they're in their own tier, but can you put yourself in a position to be to to maybe push them at nationals? And it, of course you want to be better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, you know, Iowa's of <laughs> as proud of a program as there is and being second fiddle to Penn State for the last decade or so is not fit you know is not fit with them very well doesn't sit with them you know the problem is that you know when you look at it on paper is that where iowa is strong penn state is stronger uh that you know they can they have five top ranked guys and they're playing That's you know, crazy yeah <laughs> and and then you know and then they even have you know like you know take bartlett you know and he had 41 bo bartlett you know, that's where Woods is. He's number two. So you got a one versus two match, you know, but yeah, that that's, you know, you're not going up against the sub freshman that they're just going to throw on the mat and you might be able to get a, you know, major, but, you know, I was got to do a better job of scoring on in the matches where it's got an advantage. And I don't know, they're going to have many, you know, I mean, what are they going to do with, uh, you know, against Kirk Follett? You know, I mean, are they going to throw Ben Keeter out there? You know, maybe they, maybe they do. Maybe it's, you know, sink or swim. Let's, let's let it go, you know, or do they go with Hill, you know, and, and hope Hill for the best. Was pretty good last week by Michigan. I think it's Davidson is their heavyweight. Yeah. He's pretty good. I mean, he's a top five guy and uh, he got handled pretty. Yeah. I just, you know, 
Keeter's a, a kind of a wild card for this team, right? We've talked about it before. How much can he develop and get himself back into, uh, you know, to where his potential is after playing football and getting a late start? It's hard to know where he is now. He's wrestled twice. He had the first match at home against Minnesota uh, where he got to a fast start and kind of hung on. You know, you could tell that from a conditioning standpoint, he still needed some work. Then he came back and got a 45-second pin at Northwestern. Those are the two times we've seen him. It, when is he ready to take on the best? And is, yeah. like you said, is do you shoot your shot now or do you hold him back and throw him at Kurt Valide or Davidson or these guys at Big Tens or Nationals? It's a tough, it's, it's a tough uh, equation for, yeah. for Tom Brands and, and for Ben. Because right. if it was left up to Ben, he'd be out there every damn match. Yeah, right. You know, so that's why they get paid the big bucks, you know, and, and they're, they're wrestling coaches and they're not, uh, you know, they're not journalists or anything. So, you know, they're, <laughs> but, you know, they don't so have let's, to ask the tough questions. No, I, they don't have to have a folder of tough questions. No. <laughs> He's There's got, mine. Scott's got the folder. <laughs> I, you know, I might need to bring it to wrestling one of these days, <laughs> the way things are going. But I tried to, but I forgot it. Huh? <laughs> now, this, uh, again, you, you just want to make sure you, when you go into this match that you are at, at competing at a high level. You compete like you're Iowa, you know, at, at home with that audience Every single you should walk off the mat and just drop, you know, because you do not want to embarrass the program, the Tiger Hawk. Um, you have that new building coming together and it's almost finished. You know, people paid a lot of money for that. At least the least you can do is go out there and, you know, compete at a high level. That doesn't mean you're going to win. I don't expect them to win this duel. I wouldn't have expected it even if they rolled Michigan, but you know, you do expect them to go out and give their best effort. No doubt. And that's tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, Big Ten Network, if you're not lucky enough to be in Carver-Hawkeye Arena. Uh, the Penn State-Iowa uh, showdown starts tonight, 6 o'clock, Big Ten Network, uh, Iowa at Penn State men's basketball, followed by, at 8 p.m., Penn State at Iowa women's basketball. That is sold out at Carver-Hawkeye Arena so plenty to watch the next couple nights if you're a Hawkeye fan. Um, so enjoy that. We'll see what happens. And Scott and I will be back next week to talk about the results of these competitions as well as what happens this weekend and next week before we record again on Thursday. want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, thank you to our sponsors for helping us bring you these podcasts free of charge. No Patreon, any of that stuff. Um, thank you so much to those folks. And uh, Scott and I will be back to talk to you next week on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. Until then, peace. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.